The book of Proverbs contains principles for living life well. They come from God because he cares about how we live here and he wants us to live life with skill. And I think God being all wise knows that none of one of us, nobody, not our children, grandchildren, nobody is prepared for life here who has not learned the value and importance of work. The ant did, the grasshopper apparently did not. In what you saw, it appears that the ant had a work ethic, but the grasshopper locked the work ethic. Well, something has to be done about that. And so Solomon, under inspiration by Almighty God, gave us a text of scripture that essentially tells us to do what we already did. It says, watch and learn from ants. So that's what we're going to do. Take a look. Proverbs chapter 6. This is where we are. Verse 6. Proverbs 6. Verse 6. It says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise. So what we just did in that cartoon, that's sort of biblical. Solomon here says, check out ants and learn from them. What can you learn? Well, one of the things you can learn is that ants never stand still. Did you know that? That is to say, unless you spray them. If you spray them, sometimes they But generally, left to their own, they're always doing something. They're on the march. They're always working. And in fact, they work together as a team. They have individual roles, but they coordinate their roles such that everyone has a part and makes a contribution. So if an ant finds food, the entire colony, that's what they that's what constitute ants, a colony. The entire colony gets involved, just like a small army. They're on a coordinated, organized march. They cut up the food and they carry it off and they all benefit from it. Every single ant in an ant colony works through a process of division of labor where uh, the ants have uh, specialized different jobs. Everyone has a different kind of a job. Now, the queen of the colony, her uh, specific job is to lay eggs. That's what, that's what she does. All the other ants are worker ants. Every ant is a worker ant, and their duties generally depend on, the, on their age. So generally, the younger ants perform duties on the inside of the colony, and the older ants perform tasks. They work outside of the colony. Generally, uh, their task is to gather food. Now, Solomon, the wisest man ever to have lived, thinks the sluggard needs to go to ant school. And so he says, go to the ant. Oh, sluggard, observe her ways and be wise. Which leads to the question, <clears throat> what kind of person does he, Solomon, have in mind? Who is the sluggard? Folks, the sluggard is a, a lazy person. The sluggard is someone who simply never seems to get it together. The sluggard can't get started and the sluggard can't finish anything. He's a procrastinator. The sluggard is someone who has opportunities come his way or her way, but doesn't take advantage of them. The sluggard is someone who avoids responsibilities. He wastes time. He wastes the better part of his life. The book of Proverbs, you may be surprised to know, <clears throat> has much to say about this kind of person, the sluggard. 
In fact, in Proverbs, Solomon sort of makes fun of, mocks, uh, depicts the sluggard sometimes in a laughable way. For instance, listen to Proverbs chapter 26, verse 15. The sluggard buries his hand in, his, in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. Can you get this picture? There's a bowl of something. He manages to get his hand in for the first bite. He elevates his hand containing the food up to his mouth, but then it gets to be too tiresome an activity to take the second bite. And so there he is, absolutely unenergized even to feed himself. And so the sluggard, Solomon says, you've got some learning to do, and you could learn from the ant, because every ant works. Not only that, they do so without a boss. Did you know that? Ants work without a boss standing over them. And so it says this in the very next verse, verse 7, which, referring to ants, having no chief, officer, or ruler. They don't. They don't need anybody cracking the whip. The slugger does, but not ants. They are self-motivated. You say, wait just a second. They have a queen. That's true. But the queen does not order them around. They're workers. You know what they do? They see what needs to be done, and they just take the initiative. They rise to the occasion, and they get it done. They don't need an elaborate system of checks and balances of accountability. They don't need to be micromanaged. But the sluggard is entirely different. Let me tell you, uh, while the boss is away, the sluggard will play. If the boss isn't watching, the sluggard will cut corners. In fact, if the boss uh, is away for a while, the sluggard uh, not only will slack off, but will probably come in late and leave early. Entirely different than ants. He can't be counted on. As a result, the sluggard really frustrates his employer, his boss. In fact, listen to what Proverbs chapter 10, 26 says about him. Like vinegar, if you can imagine this, vinegar to the teeth and like smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him. Now, I, I don't know the full meaning of this. I just know vinegar to the teeth is not good for the teeth. Smoke in the eyes is not good. Look, look, it makes you make these faces. You know, That's what the employer does. The employer says, uh, employee, I'm sending you on a mission as my representative. You know, that's what happens. I'm paying you, and you're supposed to render services for for what I paid to do. So I'm sending you on a mission. And then the employer starts wincing and making all kinds of faces because he knows the employee is probably not going to get it done. He's a sluggard. And so that employer is looking for a burden bearer but has a burden. And that employee is not helping the employer at all because the employee needs to be motivated, needs to be checked on, needs to be held responsible, is not reliable, is not faithful, is not diligent and that's not a good thing because employers value load lifters and you want to know something being that kind of reliable employee can you accept this it brings glory to God yeah it does which which leads me to this do you realize if you're a Christian every Christian represents Christ seven days a week 24 hours a day not just church Every Christian represents Christ. Therefore, each of us, did you know this, is in full-time Christian ministry. Our full-time job is to represent Christ Jesus. 
wherever we are, whatever we're doing, that's our job. Whatever it is we do must be done in a way that represents him well. Hence, it says this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 to 24. I started memorizing it uh, yesterday. Um, I'm going to try to share it with you. And uh, uh, if you think I'm trying to impress you, that's true. I flat out am. Uh, I want to impress upon you the value of scripture memory. So that's why I'm going to try to give it a shot. Uh, because then it's always with you. Now, the problem is, at my age, it's getting harder to do it. I just have to tell you that. It's just harder to work on it. All the more reason to do it. It's kind of like brain exercise. Sort of like calisthenics for your brain. Uh, g- give it something to dwell on. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than as for men, knowing that it is from the Lord that it is from the Lord that you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. There it is. Did that do pretty good, Steve? Not bad for an old guy. I start I told you yesterday, but it really was a year ago. No, I'm kidding. Listen, I commend to you the value of memorizing scripture. But anyway, that verse, you see what it says? Every Christian's in full-time, it doesn't matter what you do. Is it plumbing? Is it accounting? Is it pastoring? It doesn't matter. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. You don't need someone checking up on you. You're not trying to please people because the ultimate reward, that which is part and parcel of our inheritance as Christians, comes from, I like the way it says it, the Lord Christ. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now back to the ant, verse 8 of Proverbs. The ant prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Ants work diligently and without somebody checking up on them, forcing them to work, and they do something else. They prepare for the winter before the winter. Ants, in other words, work in anticipation of future needs. They work hard. They save for the future. The sluggard, on the other hand, is not like this. In fact, here's what Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4 says about him. The sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing, much like the grasshopper you saw depicted in the cartoon we watched. The sluggard does not work today with a plan for tomorrow. In fact, the sluggard puts off today what he thinks can be done tomorrow. Now, verse 9, how long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? So the sluggard has a hard time getting up and going to work. Why? Well, maybe because it was party time too late the night before. The sluggard has a play ethic rather than a work ethic. And so he can't get up and out of bed the next day. In fact, here's what Solomon says about this kind of person in Proverbs 26. Can you see all the verses in Proverbs that relate to the sluggard? Here's Proverbs 26, verse 14. As the door, see if you can envision this. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. 
Now that's supposed to be humorous. If you can imagine a door on its hinges, there's, there's movement, but no progress. I mean, the door is not going anywhere. And imagine the hinges getting rusty. Have you ever had a door like that? It needs WD-40, but before you get to it, it's just making noise. Well, that's what happens. <laughs> that's the picture Solomon humorously offers of the sluggard on his bed. He's tossing and turning. Oh, man, I know I should get up, but oh, no. And he turns over. This guy is in love with the snooze alarm. That's, that's kind of the picture. And so Solomon says, verse 10, a little sleep. A little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. That's it. He just back to sleep, unproductive. He thinks about getting up, but it's too hard to do it. And, and, and you know, when he thinks about getting up and going to work, he finds lame excuses to stay in bed. Here's one mentioned in Proverbs 22, verse 13. Listen to this. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. So this is, this is ancient Hebrew humor. He said, oh, I gotta get up, I go to go to work, but oh no, there may be a lion outside. I'll be devoured. So he stays in bed. Lame excuses. And this is what's gonna happen to him. Verse 11, your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. A vagabond is a person who moves about, kind of a wanderer. In those days, ancient times, vagabonds didn't have good reputations. They were thought to be robbers. So the idea in this particular statement is that the laziness of the sluggard will bring about poverty, much like the sudden appearance of a highway robber. While he sleeps, he becomes poor rather suddenly, just like he would if a robber broke into his house, took all of his possessions and left him nothing. Now, what do people like this, this sluggard, what do they want? I'll tell you what they want. Good things. They want a better life. In fact, they so much want a better life, they dream about it all the time. And they talk about it. But the one thing they don't do is work for it. They're dreamers and they're talkers. They're drawn not to work. In fact, they're drawn to get-rich-quick schemes like a little something called the stinking lottery, which is government-authorized gambling, which has uh, caused an addiction amongst the people who could least afford to play the lottery. You see? It'll open up a new life for me. I dream, I envision. When I win this $100 million, this is so a dreamlike state. They're dreamers, they're talkers, but they're not. They don't, they're not workers. So Proverbs 14, verse 23 says, in all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. So what happens when people like this, dreamers and talkers who refuse to work, what happens when they come into poverty? I'll tell you what happens. They have an expectation of family or friends or government bailing them out. But how should family, friends, and government respond to one such as this? I'll just tell you what God says. That's, that's a nice idea. Here's what God says. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. 2 Thess, chapter 3, verse 10. Or as Donald Trump would say, 2 Thessalonians 
chapter 3, verse 10. It says this, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Boom. In any translation, that's what God says. If anyone's not willing to work, he shouldn't eat either. Why? God hates sluggers? No. He so loves people caught in the pattern of hopelessness, lack of productivity, and poverty. That if they're in this situation, not everybody is, if they're in the situation because of their own uh, sloth and sluggardliness, God wants to break the pattern by allowing them to experience the natural consequences of laziness. Why? Because if anything will break the pattern, it's maybe the consequence of not having anyone bail you out. So if friends, family, government interfere with the natural consequences of laziness, then the lazy person might not ever, ever be moved out of it. No. Listen, uh, for instance, to what Proverbs chapter 16, verse 26 has to say about all this. A worker's appetite works for him or his hunger urges him on. A loving God created us with an appetite for food and for drink, basic human needs, for clothing and for shelter. God says a very legitimate motivation for those of us who might have a tendency towards passivity and slothfulness is when we get hungry and when our basic human needs are not met. God lovingly says, allow it to be. Don't interfere. Because if you put food in the stomach of that slothful person, please, whatever would motivate that person to get out of it and provide for his own needs. So if the government or anybody else provides food or other assistance for one who can but will not work, then they interfere with what can serve to change that person's ways. Now I want to tell you this. In my, no, this is not my opinion. This is just true. I'm not going to water it down. This is true. Now your opinion may differ uh, and you're wrong. I'll make this statement. At this point in our history, as a nation, our government, spurred on by both political parties, is offering more entitlement programs than ever. And not only is this just about ready to break our economy, it is also breaking the spirit of many of its recipients. Free college. But I remember when I went to school, I cleaned toilets for 15 bucks a week. Well, I got to tell you, it really helped me to value schooling. Why in the world would I subject myself to toilet cleaning for nothing? And so being in school took on a value that helped me to stay and uh, finish. So government out-of-control entitlement programs, in my opinion, have become a form of slavery, of a psychological kind. I'll tell you why. They keep generations of people in bondage. To what? To a sense of inadequacy 
and inability to provide for themselves. See, government entitlement programs essentially give this message here. You must not think you can make it on your own. Stop trying. You need big daddy government to provide for you. Government is your dad. You are forever its child. Don't even think, therefore, of growing up and acting like an adult. Slavery, the likes of which we imposed on people in this country, is a sin. Psychological slavery, in my opinion, is doing more harm than the slavery of a literal kind we had in this country. And do you know what the implied message of government entitlement programs is? It keeps generations of people enslaved not only to the government, but enslaved to hopelessness. I can't do it. I can't make it. Make promises to me, big daddy. I'll vote you in and I'll keep you in. Is that a political? I'm not making a political statement. I'm telling you both parties, both parties find their way into elected office by promising the expansion of entitlement programs, which we soon are going to find out we can't afford to pay for anymore. I'll tell you God's approach. It's much wiser. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. That's what God says. I think he's smarter. Now, let me stop here just for a second because I can sense some of you about ready to come after me. So let me tell you this. I don't think for one minute that all people who are unemployed, poor, impoverished, are lazy or are slothful or are sluggards. Absolutely not. For some people, poverty is beyond their control. It's not a result of their sin or laziness, their circumstances beyond their control. I know this. Some citizens of this country have needs for help that are not the result of sin or bad choices or slothful patterns of living. People in that category are to be met with mercy and grace and compassion and patience and sensitivity and are to be assisted by friends and family, and fellow citizens, especially Christians. But it's entirely different with the person Solomon's talking about, the sluggard who is in his situation because of his own doing. If you help that person, you are hurting him by helping him. You would help him by not helping him because you're not helping him and letting him live with the natural consequences of his choices. He may say, I'm sick of this lifestyle. I've got to do something about it. So it says in Proverbs, again, chapter 16, verse 26, a worker's appetite works for him. His hunger urges him on. If you really want to help somebody who is able to work, don't help them until they work. Now, there are some people in high places in our government, and I have really... Uh, I got up this morning and I prayed to uh, keep my big Jewish mouth shut about specifics. I'm just going generic now. I'm just telling you there are some people in high places. Let's put it this way. Uh, and others who aspire 
to be in those high places in government who are promoting a radical redistribution of wealth so as to bring about economic equality for all. That sounds good, doesn't it? But I'll tell you why it won't work. <clears throat> it is because in this world, this reality, until the sweet by and by, that plan will be undermined and corrupted by something called human sin. And as a result of it, in this world, a number of our citizens will simply not work, not contribute, and not pay taxes unless forced to. That's the way it is. So God's economic plan is this. Let those who are willing to work diligently, let them prosper. And let those who are not so inclined, let them experience poverty. So for governments to take money from the diligent so that they might provide for the lazy is absolutely contrary to God's will and ways. The ant works hard. He gathers his food in the summer to prepare for the winter. The sluggard does not. It is therefore wrong for the government to punish the ant and reward the sluggard. And that's exactly what we have today. The ant works and prepares and saves and spends wisely. The sluggard is undisciplined and unrestrained and flat out lazy. It is wrong for the government to punish the ant and reward the sluggard. In so doing, here's what happens. The government teaches something. The government teaches the sluggard that laziness pays off. And it teaches the ant that hard work does not. What then should we as Christians do about it or just get mad and irritated? <laughs> no. What should we do about it? Well, I want to tell you three things I think you don't need to be a Christian could do. These three things anybody can do. And then there's a fourth that only Christians could do. Here are the three things I think all of us can and should do. One, we should work diligently. That's number one. We should work diligently. Two, we should vote wisely we should vote wisely not media election not he's a good speaker not he tells them what it is what what do they stand for what do they believe what are they about not sound bites not i like this guy because he's different than the guy i don't like what are you talking about? He can be worse than the guy you don't like. You don't know yet. So, number one, everyone could do this. We should work diligently. Two, we should vote wisely. Three, we should oppose respectfully certain government entitlement programs. We should oppose it. Any citizen can, in my opinion, should do those things. Once again, we should work diligently. We should vote wisely. We should oppose certain government entitlement programs respectfully. <clears throat> That's what any citizen, saved or unsaved, can do. But there's something only Christians can do about this, and here it is. It's to share the gospel with those who are sluggards, as defined 
in the book of Proverbs. We, we, only we can share the gospel. Well, why is that important? Folks, in order for any kind of person to live better, to live differently, he needs to be introduced to Jesus Christ. He saves us from sin, but that's not all. He's a pattern breaker. Listen to me. When someone finds out that almighty God so loved the world that he gave, you're on the verge of being transformed from being a taker to a giver. That is the whole essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I give sacrificially. And when you embrace that message by faith and the Lord Jesus takes up his abode in your life, you get changed from the inside out. The gospel of Jesus Christ can change lives. He is an example, or here is an example of the kind of change that Christ can bring about in a person's life. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Listen, he who steals must steal no longer. Did you know that? So if you're doing it, you're a Christian, you got to stop. He who steals should steal no longer. Would I be offensive if I said receiving entitlements from the government rather than working is a form of theft? You are stealing from citizens who work and pay taxes. You see? He who steals must steal no longer. Well, what's the option? Here it is. But rather, he must labor. He must work. Performing with his own hands what is good. Why? Here's why. So that he will have something to share with one who has need. That's the economic policy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Accept me as Savior. Let me help you break your patterns of selfishness, self-centeredness, and slothfulness. Let me enable you to be hopeful. I have confidence in you. You're of value to me. I love you enough to tell you, you can make it. I'll help you make it. Get a job. I'll open up the door to employment that has hitherto been closed. Maybe because of your gender or your race or your educational level or your age. Don't worry about those things. Those are systemic evils that are going to be here until the time of my return. But it doesn't matter. They don't limit me. I can open doors for you. Take the initiative. Step out. Fill out a resume, a job description, figure out what's needed. Go meet the need. I'll help you. And then with your own hands, you'll see a source of income. And my heavens, what a sense of satisfaction you'll have. You'll be freed from psychological enslavement. I'll free you to be everything I intend for you to be. And then you'll be able to cease being a taker. And you'll be able to give to those who are legitimately in need. Folks, the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms us from sluggards to contributors and from takers to givers. The gospel of Jesus Christ is our mission and mandate. We should not like party, let party affiliation, political distinctives divide us. Vote for whom you want to. That, that vote, but vote for whom you want to. If you choose a candidate other than me, please let's not let something as, uh, as uh, 
temporal as that divide us? Because here's the thing we have in common. Our primary mission is not the election of a particular candidate. That's important. I gotcha. But our primary mission is the propagation of the gospel message because that's what changed. Folks, I was a drug-addicted, drinking, suicidal fool. But I'm not now. Well, maybe the fool part. <laughs> Haven't used any drugs, had anything to drink in close to 40 years now. Nothing. I'm not taking any credit. I'm just telling you, Jesus didn't just save me from the penalty of my sin. That would be enough. I got you there. But he saved me from hopelessness and enslavement to my own stuff. He made me someone with a measure of health and the capacity to be somewhat productive, someone to make a contribution in society, all that kind of... I'm not taking any credit for that. I'm not doing anything. That's the change the Lord Christ can make in a person's life. Could I ask you a question? Have you been changed by the Lord Jesus? Have you been changed? Um... I was thinking about this on the way over. Do you know this song? What a wonderful, how's that go? What a wonderful change in my life has been brought since Jesus came into my life. I was thinking about that. Has Jesus changed your life? Don't make this a religious thing, a church thing. I'm talking about a personal liberation thing. He's the great liberator. He's the deliverer from every kind of enslavement. In my case, to drugs and booze and uh, uh, an interest in dying, a death wish. Freed me from that kind of stuff. What, 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 what enslaves you? What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my life. Listen, if you haven't been changed by the Lord Jesus, before we take leave of one another tonight, in fact, could you stand right now? We'll, we'll, we'll get ready to take leave of one another. Uh, uh, in the back room here, right behind where we sit, is the Connection Center. People pray with you. You can go in there. You say, I I'm stuck. I'm kind of in bondage of sorts. I I'm not motivated. I'm not energized. Whatever it is, ask them to pray with you. Say, ask this Jesus of yours to empower change in my life. I need it.